Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. So I was really praying what God would have me to teach about tonight, and and how many of us in here would consider themselves botanists or green thumbs, possibly a show of hands? I know we got at least one, because we've all probably eaten something he's grown. So um, as I was praying about what to teach tonight, I, I felt like um, as I uh, experienced something this week that I'll tell you about, I felt like God speaks in very interesting ways to us, and at times in, in ways that we don't expect. So let me back up. I've been married now for about a year and a half, and I mean, it's been awesome. For those of you who know what married is, being married is like, it's, it's amazing. And of course, you know, it's all about God leading you to that person that you're supposed to marry. And, and that's a wonderful thing. So if you're young, make sure that you choose the right person because that's one of the most important decisions that you'll ever make. You want to make sure that you choose the right person because it's going to lead you. And it's going to lead you either to God or away from God. And so, uh, Angel's in here tonight. I didn't think she would be, but of course, God gave me a really good one. And and while we were getting ready to get married, we were taking some marriage counseling, and that really was just to save on our our marriage license, because if we took this class, we got sixty dollars off. And so uh, we met these wonderful folks, and and they were doling out some awesome advice. They'd been married for twenty or thirty years, and and. Uh, we received a lot from them, but one of the greatest pieces of advice that they gave us was, um, as they were giving us handouts, they said, now here's a chores list, and before you guys tie the knot, before you move in together, you need to divvy up the chores. You need to decide who's going to do what and how. That way, when it comes time, you know, you don't just have somebody that walks in and takes off all their clothes and just throws them in a pile on the middle of the floor and then just walks away. You want to make sure that everybody, both parties, are responsible. Now, Angel and I have the privilege of having my mother live with us, and so she's the maid. No, I'm just joking. That sounds terrible. Um, so when we were divvying out chores, uh, Angel, this was, uh, we had sold my house, and we had um, gotten rid of my house, and so we were moving into the house that Angel had bought. And so uh, we were looking down, and it was like, who's going to do dishes? And I was like, I like to do dishes. And she's like, I'd like to dry. And I was like, hey, cool. And I was like, I like to reach tall stuff. And she's like, I'm short. And I was like, well, that works too. And I said, I don't mind cleaning bathrooms. And she's like, I don't mean cleaning bathrooms. So we were going through this list, and all of a sudden, we got to outdoor work, landscaping as it is. And she goes, you know what? I like to do the mowing and the weed eating and, and the outdoor stuff. And I was like, that's wonderful, because if you don't know me, I'm allergic to every grass known to man. And that's the truth. I had the poke test done on my back, and they were like, I've never seen this before. You are literally allergic to everything outside. In fact, I go outside, and I see grass, and I'm like, <laughs> you know, and I start to sneeze. And so um, Angel took on the landscaping uh, until last Friday, because on Friday, it was a beautiful morning, and um, my wife decided that she was going to, on Saturday, get up early and just take care of the yard and do all that she needed to do. And, 
And so I was looking on Friday, and I had some extra time, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a super husband thing. I'm going to get out there, and I'm going to mow the lawn, and uh, she's going to come home, and it's going to be exciting. And so I wanted to give her a break so she could have her whole Saturday off. And so I got out there, and I started you know, the mower up, and I, I just was looking at everything. And, and of course, our, our yard is kind of like... Uh, a little bit of weeds with some grass or, or mostly weeds with grass. And so, you know, I'm looking at our mower and I start lowering it because I'm like, I'm going to scalp this sucker so it looks good no matter what I do. And so I've got the mower and I started going. And the mower that I used to have, the one that I don't know why it doesn't work because that's not me. I'm not a fix-it guy. It, it, it had a bag and, and our mower currently doesn't have a bag. And so I'm mowing. And of course, our front yard is pretty thick. And so I start to look and, it, and it's just bunching up everywhere. And so you know, talking to one of our residential, um, uh, our mowing experts, he's like, oh, you should have mulched that stuff. But as I was looking at it, I was like, man, this is really looking terrible. And so after I mowed the yard, I decided that I needed to rake it. And so I got out there, I started raking up the, the shavings. And um, now, mind you, we don't have AstroTurf, but what we started to get was what I call AfroTurf. And let me explain, because what we have is we have this crazy grass. I guess you could define it as a weed. And what happens is as it grows, it grows outshoots that go sideways. And as they go sideways, they connect with other offshoots, and they start to even take root. And so as I was raking, what was happening is they were going, they were popping up. And I started to freak out because I'm like, Man, it doesn't even look like I mowed. And so I Googled in, and it says that it's a type of bluegrass. And I said, that's the bane of my existence. And um, I'm like, I'm going to have to mow this stuff again. And, and so I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. I'm a little OCD, like, like a, loose, uh, a loose string on a sweater is basically a death sentence for that sweater because I'm like you know, and I can't just cut it. And next thing I know, it's like this big, and I just... I, can you sew this back, you know? And so um, I'm looking at this, this patch of grass that has all these, these uh, things standing up. And so I'm like, okay, if I just go real quick, I could pull them all. And so I go to pull one. Well, guess what happens? As I pull one, six come up. And I'm like, oh, no, you know? And so then I go to pull another one, and more come up. And later on, I talked to Angela, and she's like, yeah, I think it makes the grass look fuller, so I just try to leave those down. And at this point, I'm thinking, I need to trade my lawnmower for a flamethrower. That's the only way I'm going to get rid of these things. You know, and, and, and in my mind, I'm just uh, freaking out about these extra things. And so, you know, I'm starting to think about firing up the mower again, and I'm like, I should have raked first. I don't know what I was doing. And right about then, God started to speak to me. Because he said, Josh, don't you remember that this is kind of like sin? It's kind of like sin where um, a lot of times when we allow sin to go unconfessed and we allow sin to remain in our lives, it's all layered and it's all connected. And so what happened was I pulled on one. And the next thing I know, that web of sin is still there. And, and the, the fact was, is I wasn't even getting the root all I was doing was pulling this stuff off the surface, and, and it um, reminded me of a time where I was in high school. So this is like story inception, because I'm going from one story right into the next. And, and when I was in high school, 
I uh, worked for a little pizza place called Domino's, and um, this story could really get me in trouble, so you guys got to keep it on the down low. Because what happened was um, one night I got home from school, and I had a shift to work at Domino's, and I was kind of a sneaky kid at times, and so I thought, you know what? I don't want to work tonight. So I got my best, like, Ferris Bueller coffee voice on, and I called, and I'm like, this is Josh. Yeah, I'm not feeling so hot today, so I'm not going to be able to make it to work. And they're like, oh, okay. All right, well, we'll find somebody else for your shift. Feel better. We'll see you next time you work. I was like, all right, okay. So then got my uniform on, and I said, okay, Mom and Dad, I'm going to work. I love you. I'll see you later. (laughs) And at the time, I was like, hey, you want to hang out? And I was calling friends, and uh, I got in my car and and left. So then, and and what I'm doing is, is I'm already sinning. And it's the sin of, of course, lying to my work. And then I'm lying to my, my parents. And then I'm calling my friends and I'm encouraging them and, and I'm involving them in my sin and my lie. And so the next thing you know, you know, of course, I've snuck a shirt, you know, because I don't want to be walking around wearing a domino shirt. So I've snuck a shirt out and I go out and God is always faithful because, you know, there's that verse that says, uh, your sin will find you out. And at the time in high school, I had a 1976 Chevy Nova, and it was cream-colored, and it was a gas guzzler, and so I needed gas. And where I grew up was Flagstaff, not extremely huge, and me being not the smartest tool in the shed, decided to go to the one gas station that was off the road where you would have to drive to go to my house. And so, of course, I pull over and get gas. I'm wearing a different shirt, and I'm putting gas and little beknownst to me, my mom drives by, and she's like, hey, that's Josh. I thought he was at work, you know, and she goes home. So I don't know this. So, of course, I'm going out with my friends. This was before cell phones. You couldn't call me and be like, what are you doing, you know, or text or whatever. And so I go this whole night. Before I go home, I put on my domino shirt, you know, try to make it look like I worked, like, look like I got it dirty. I go home, and I'm like, hey, how's it going? You know, and at this point, it's sin, layered on sin, layered on sin, layered on lie, layered on lie. And, uh, and my dad goes, hey, how was work? It's like, eh, you know, it got busy, you know, pizza, wings, whatever, at the time that we were serving. And he goes, oh, really? Because we tried to call down there and see if, uh, if you would answer so we could order a pizza with you. And I was like, yeah, it was really busy. I don't know. And he goes, huh. Well, um, do you need gas in your car? Because I, I want to buy, buy you some gas. No, I'm good. Oh, okay. So it was like lie on top of lie on top of lie on top of sin, you know, and all, and all I can see in my mind is pulling this grass, and it keeps coming up. And, um, of course, the jig was up, and eventually they sprung it on me, and they're like, ha, you know, we knew what you'd done. And, and all of that to say sin is a web And a lot of times when we as believers don't confess our sin, when we try to cover it up with sin, maybe we start to feel like Achan. Do you remember the story of Achan? The children of Israel in the book of Joshua have come into the promised land and they've come to Jericho and and God says, okay, 
Jericho is your first conquest. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to be kind of like a tithing principle. I want you guys to destroy it completely, but take nothing for yourselves. Every conquest after this, you guys can have all the spoils, but nothing from Jericho are you supposed to take. And so the children of Israel, of course, there's the amazing story of Rahab, the prostitute, and how God saved her, and, and, and she was able to rescue her whole family with that scarlet rope. But what happens is the children of Israel, they go in, and of course, they march around the walls of Jericho, and, and after the seven days, they march around the seven times, and they're screaming, and God brings those uh, basically impenetrable walls down, and they destroy the city of Jericho. And so they move on to the next place called Ai, and, and Ai was like a flea compared to the, the hound that was Jericho, and they, they don't even send their whole army, and yet they get whooped. And Joshua, is, is he, he's upset, he's kind of throwing a fit, he's throwing himself on the ground, and he finally asks God, and he goes, what's happening? And God goes, there's sin in the camp. And what ends up happening is there's a guy named Achan who saw this Babylonian robe and he saw the silver, and he decided that he wanted it for his wife. He wanted it for himself, and he took it, and he buried it beneath his tent. And God says, I'm not going to bless you when you have sin in the camp. And so, uh, of course, they go through this whole uh, rigmarole of saying, okay, well, what we're going to do is we're going to find out who's done this unless you want to come forward and admit your sin. And so... They come and they say, okay, well, what clan, like, what tribe is it in? And they narrow it down to the tribe that Achan's in. And they go, okay, well, what clan is it in? And they narrow it down to the clan that Achan's in. And they go, what family is it in? And all of a sudden, it narrows down to the family that Achan's in. And they go, who is it? And they go, it's Achan. And that whole time, he had the chance to confess his sin. He had the chance to repent. There might have been mercy at that point, but due to the fact that he just ignored and he didn't repent and he didn't give up his sin, God brought judgment upon him. And the children of Israel ended up stoning him and his family and, and bearing all his possessions. And so as I started to, to think about this, I was thinking, man, you know, you, you have this sin in, your, in our yard. And, and I was thinking, okay, well, if I'm to relate or correlate sin in our yard or weeds in our yard to sin, then, of course, you know, that kind of weird grass is not the only uh, weed we have. In fact, we have that, those terrible goat head weeds, and we have dandelions, and we have a lot of other stuff. And you guys can come work on our yard if you really want to, but that's really not the point tonight. Because um, as I just use that as an illustration, what I want to do tonight is, as I titled this message, Weed and Feed, because the goal that I want to achieve in this study is after we've heard this, by God's grace and as we grow in Him, we'll be able to better identify and remove the sin, we'll be able to weed out our lives, and then we'll be able to feed, which is fight against it day by day. Now, we need to define a couple of things as we talk about sin, because when we talk about sin in the Bible, and there's various places, especially like 1 John, when we talk about sin, we have to discuss whether we're talking about the, the habitual practicing of sin. And what I mean by that is that is where someone has basically made a deal with their sin, where they keep coming back to it, and they commit that sin over and over, and they get to the point where it doesn't even bother them. 
And the Bible says that if we've ever reached that point with any type of sin where we can constantly do it over and over and never feel any type of conviction, what that means is that there's a point where we've possibly even seared our conscience. And that is a huge warning for us if, that, if we can sin and, st- and not feel any conviction of it. And so uh, there is a difference between practicing sin and struggling with sin. And that's really what I want to talk to that tonight about is the struggle that we as believers have even after salvation, not practicing it. And, and uh, Paul says it well in Galatians chapter 5. He says this, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and of the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, Christians, we have to be careful that we are not practicing sin. Now, we are going to struggle with sin, and that's where Paul says in Romans chapter 6. If you're there, let's read it together. It's in verse 15. It says, What then shall we sin? Because we are not under law, but under grace? Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I speak to you in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves as slaves of uncleanness and your lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. And so, okay, all of that, that's kind of like a, whoa, what the heck did he just say statement? Well, right here, we've just read that before salvation, we are slave to sin. But after salvation, we are slaves or servants of righteousness. Now, does that mean we'll never sin again? No, of course not. And in fact, preaching that would be terrible doctrine. But does that mean that we need to be purposeful and set up safeguards to avoid sinning? Yes. Let me ask those questions again. Does the fact that we are no longer slaves to sin, but now servants of righteousness, mean that we'll never sin again? No. No, unfortunately, we're still going to battle sin. But do we need to be purposeful and set up safeguards to avoid sin? Absolutely. And so let's get real about sin. Let's talk about the weeds that are in our lives. And to do that, we have to go back all the way to the beginning, to Genesis chapter 3. Here in Genesis chapter 2, you've got Adam and Eve, and you have an amazing wedding ceremony where God has created a helpmate for Adam, and Adam sees her, and he gets so enthralled with her that he starts speaking poetry, and, and he starts going like, Flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone. I mean, he's just going off because he's like, this woman is so beautiful and God officiates the first wedding and, and everything is wonderful because you have Adam and Eve, naked and unashamed, husband and wife, living the dream. Hashtag no clothes, hashtag no calories. But then here comes 
Genesis chapter 3. And Satan, who's already sinned, by the way, his sin was pride. That's uh, put out there in Isaiah chapter 14. He pulls the old bait and switch with Eve where he tells her, you will be like God. And he deceives her to eat of the tree of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. And so Eve, of course, as she looks at it, she sees that it's good for food. She sees that it's uh, wonderful to make one wise. And also she saw that it was pleasant to the eyes. And so she took it and she ate of it. And after she did that, she went over to Adam and she was like, hey, check this out. And what does Adam do? Instead of Adam going, what did you do? We're not supposed to eat that. He's like, hey, that looks good. And so he takes it and willfully eats it. And just like that, in that moment, sin entered the world and fractured our relationship with God. And from that point forward, because of Adam, we are born with a sin nature. And thus, that is our reason for needing to be born again. Jesus didn't have a sin nature, so when we're born again into Jesus, we don't have that sin nature. And so that leads us to ask, how do we sin? Or what kind of sins do we, do we commit? So I want to give you a few different ones. Well, Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We talked about that last week, that the, the foot of the cross is even because we're all sin. And, and what that word is, is harmatia. And what that means is missing the mark. And, and the best way to describe that is anything short of perfection. Raise your hand in here if you're not perfect, right? Uh, we should all raise our hands because we are not perfect. The only one who could ever raise his hand is Jesus. And so first and foremost, we've all missed the mark. We're all not perfect. The second way that we've uh, sinned is found in Romans 5.19. It says this, for as by one man's, one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's, that's Jesus, obedience, there will be many made righteous. And so the word disobedience here is a Greek word named, uh, that's written out parke, uh, parakoe. And what that means is disobedience, the failure to hear. And so uh, we sin by disobedience. We sin by failing to hear. It's kind of like saying that we were kind of half listening to God. And you could even say that Adam did that, where God said, you're not supposed to eat of that fruit. And he was like, what? Oh, okay. Um, maybe it's like when your, your family member or spouse is trying to talk to you while you're watching TV. Or even worse, when you're looking at your smartphone uh, I'm guilty of that, where my wife will get mad at me and she'll, she'll kind of do like that. I'm going to pause until you put the thing down so you can hear what I'm saying kind of thing because I'm like, uh-huh, yeah, you know, I'm like, but he texted me or whatever it is, you know, because what happens is when we're not paying attention to God, it leads to our disobedience and, and we can go to that place where we're not listening when he's speaking to us. And that's why he's given us his word, so we can hear him. And then we move from missing the mark, we move from disobedience, and then Ephesians 2.1, it says, And he has made you alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. And so the third type of sin that we commit is transgression. 
And, and what that basically means is going over to the wrong side. It's like God put out a line in the sand and he said, you're righteous unless you cross this line. And, and like an old Western, uh, God would maybe put on his cowboy hat and he'd say, you're on the wrong side of the law, pilgrim. And what that means is we've trespassed, we've transgressed, we've gone over to the wrong side. Now, those are sins of commission. Those are things that we commit. But there's also sins of omission. Uh, James 4.17 says, For him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. And then Paul even speaks about the time where he was a blasphemer, he was a persecutor, he was an insolent man. He says, all of these things I did in ignorance. And so the sins of omission are things that we should have done or things that we did by our ignorance. And there's a last type of sin, and that's our sins of disposition. And what that means is the sins of our attitude. How many have ever sinned with your attitude? Hello? Every day, right? And what that is, is that sins in our heart and sins in our minds. Sins like lust. Sins like hate. Sins like envy. Anything that happens in our hearts or in our minds. Things like pride. Now, not only are there different types of sins like commission, omission, and disposition, but there's also sins that can have some pretty severe consequences. And so let's look at some of the things that sin does in our lives. Well, first and foremost, we know for the non-believer that sin separates us from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 reads, your, your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. And honestly, that's what Jesus endured for us on the cross. Do you remember when he was in the garden of Gethsemane? And he, he came and he was praying and he said, God, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. And he prayed that and he was under such duress that he was sweating tears of blood because they call the Garden of Gethsemane the crucifixion before the crucifixion where he was in such anguish because of what he knew was to come. And so when Jesus was on the cross, those six hours when he was on the cross, what Jesus was doing, that cup that he spoke about in the garden, he was drinking that cup that was full of every sin that man ever committed to the point where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because it was the first time that God had to turn away from Jesus because he bore our sin. And so we see that sin separates us from God. Another thing that sin does, and so many of us who have lived a long enough life can attest to this, any of us who have wrestled with sin, sin overpromises and underdelivers. Sin overpromises and underdelivers. It always leaves you wanting. One pastor says it like this, sin will always take you further than you ever wanted to go and keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay. How many of us have ever thought, well, 
I'm just going to do this one thing. And then the next thing you know, it's like, well, I'm just going to do that. Or, or maybe, um, you know, in a relationship, it's like, well, just this last time. Or, or maybe just this, this, we're just only going to go this far. And Satan, through his temptation, is like, come further. And we get to that place where it's even like a slippery slope where we get to that point of no return. And the next thing you know, we, we, we look at our lives and we go, how, how did I get this far? And that's because sin overpromises and underdelivers. And then so many of us can attest to this. You know what else sin does? It makes you stupid. Amen, right? Because what sin will do is it will dull our ability to make good judgment. I can't help but think of the guy from Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, it starts off as such a, a neat chapter. And uh, you think for a second, you're like, oh, this is interesting. And it talks about this woman who goes out to the street corner and, you know, she's nicely dressed. And then you realize that she's a married woman uh, hoping to have a marital indiscretion. And what she's doing is she's enticing young men. And she's kind of calling out like, my husband's out of town. And here comes this guy. And, and what the Bible really says of him is that he's like a sheep led to slaughter. He's an oxen who doesn't even know where he's being led. He's dumb. Because sin makes you stupid, and especially sexual sin. I, I, um, I'm really passionate about this. I, I saw a statistic that said men in the church, 60% of church-going men admit to uh, weekly visiting uh, pornography sites. 60% of men that are going to church and that's a terrible statistic because sexual sin makes you really dumb because it's just that dopamine hit. It's, it's uh, rewiring our brains. Um, even Time Magazine has been doing articles about what pornography is doing to our kids. It's talking about how um, kids are unable to focus these days because they're so used to the drug that is internet pornography that Children the age of 13 uh, are watching up to 50 um, pornographic clips a week. And, and the sad thing is it's at our fingertips because of our phones. And so sin makes you stupid. You think of another example. I can't help but mention our boy Samson because he was, of course, led by sexual immorality. He was led into sexual sin. If you remember uh, his interactions with Delilah, she kept asking for the, the secret of his strength. And every time he would wake up after he told her a solution, that would be done to him. And instead of getting out of there and freaking out that this woman that he thought that he loved was betraying him, in fact, he kept going further with it to the point where he reveals that it's his hair. And, of course, from there it was a slippery slope because sin makes you stupid. The last thing I'll mention is, sadly, sin can trick us into thinking that it is harmless. Sin can trick us into thinking that it is harmless. I, I went back to thinking about weeds because, you know, sometimes you look at a weed and you're like, hey, that, that has a really cool, pretty flower. And, and um, you know, some of us even want to plant gardens out of it or, or put it in a place where, where it can grow. And I was starting to correlate it to sin. And you think of like the thorniest, ugliest weed you can find. 
Imagine saying, this is pretty. Or, or let me kind of bring it back to the Bible. James, in chapter 1, uh, verse 15, he says it like this. Um, imagine with me if you have a really opulent house, like you, you just have millions of dollars, and, and you decide that you want like um, a, a swimming pool in your backyard that uh, reflects the ocean. It's, it's the same temperature as the ocean. It's the same um, salt content, everything, so that you could have like an ocean aquarium out there. And so in your richness, you get a little crazy, and you're like, you know what? I just want, I just want a great white shark. I don't know why, but it would be so cool to have this like pet great white. And so you pay somebody to bring one for you from South Africa or whatever, and next thing you know, you got this tiny great white, and you go out there, and you, you can swim with it for a while, and you're like, this is my pet. I named him Larry. And, you know, and you have this great white, and, and you think it's so cool, and, you know, you even have this basement where you can see it through an aquarium window. And here's the thing. After a while, should you be swimming with Larry? No. Ever. You should never be swimming with Larry because he's a great white shark and he has one programming. Sharks have one programming and that is to survive. And so, you know, you think, well, he's my pet. I named him, I, I fed him, I gave him fish every day or whatever. And you get in the pool. Well, this is what James says is like trying to keep sin as a pet, trying to think that it's going to be harmless. What happens is as we, as we give, our, our temptations leads to a desire, and that births a sin. What happens is we think that we can just uh, keep it as a pet until, what ha- until James says that it leads to death. And that's really what that sin is going to do. It's like having a pet dragon. And it's fun for a while, but it leads to death. And so as Christians, what we have to do is we have to commit to never making peace with sin, ever. Ever. We, never ha- we have to identify these sins in our lives that are bad, and we can never make peace with them, whether it's lust or anger or lying or gossip or, or envy or immorality. Whatever our sin is, we have to deal with it. I found this quote from Pastor John Piper. He writes, It is both relief and heartache to know that all true believers have sin remaining in them in this life. The great apostle said, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. In another place, he said, I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. That's from Romans 7.23. And then Pastor Piper continues and he says, And Jesus taught us to pray daily, forgive us our debts. So he goes on to say, This does not mean that we should become complacent about sin. It means we must fight it daily. We are commanded to constantly kill the sin that remains in our lives. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. This is not optional. This is mortal combat. Sin dies or we will die. Not that we ever become perfect in this age, but we go on killing sins as they attack us from day to day. We do not settle in with sin. We fight 
and we kill. Church, in order to weed our hearts of sin, we must be militant in our fight against it. And it's kind of like when the children of Israel were ramping up to conquest their, their uh, entry into the promised land, what God commanded them to do was he said, you need to wipe out or drive out all the inhabitants of the land, all the Canaanites, all the different representations of sin. And what we have to do is we have to be vigilant in our own lives because that crossing over the Jordan and moving into the promised land is a direct representation of our salvation experience. And that's what the book of Joshua is all about. And this is where we see the Israelites' downfall come in from the book of Joshua to the book of Judges because what it says is unfortunately constantly in the first chapters it goes, and the tribe of Reuben did not drive all the inhabitants out. And the tribe of Judah did not drive all the inhabitants out. And the tribe of Issachar and Nebulon, the tribe of Gad, Asher, all of these tribes of Israel, they decided to let the inhabitants stay. And you know what happened? Every single one of them fell into idolatry. Every single one of them started worshiping the other nation's gods. And so we have to ask a question, how do we kill sin in our lives? How do we weed out the sin that's in our lives? I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you seven things. Seven things. The first one is take heart that our old sinful self is already dead. Number one, take heart that our old sinful self is already dead. The old man is dead, and we can recognize that Christ's death is our death. Number two, we want to make sin our enemy. We want to make sin our enemy. Guys, we don't kill friends. We kill enemies. And we have to remember that the sin that killed Jesus wants to destroy us. It was sin that killed Jesus, and it wants to destroy us. So we have to make sin our enemy. Number three, we have to declare allegiance to God. Through our heart, our soul, and our body, we have to declare allegiance to God. It's, it's part of our core values here at the church. It's love God first, and then love people, and then live radically. Number four, we have to make no provision for the flesh. We have to make no provision for the flesh. And what we want to do is we want to avoid temptation at all costs. I was listening to something today, and, and you guys can relate to this. Satan doesn't tempt you when you're at your best. In fact, when you're hungry, you're not really thinking about food that much unless you're just kind of chunky, as uh, Cordelia says. You know, um, Satan doesn't come when you're at your strongest to tempt you. You know when he comes and tempts you? When you're at your worst, when you're at your lowest, when you're at your, your hungriest, when you're at your, your weakest. But we have... 1 Corinthians 10, 13, which says God will make a way out of that temptation 
And so what we have to do is we have to make no provision for the flesh. And, and what that means in our marriages is we have to safeguard our marriages. We have to be able to tell our husbands or our wives when we feel weak. What that means in our walks with God is we have to, we have to safeguard our walks where we're not going to go on the internet to places that we're not supposed to go. We're not going to do things that we're not supposed to do because we don't make provision for the flesh. Number five is we need to resist being conformed to this world. We have to resist being conformed to this world. Romans 12, 2 says, And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I found this quote from D.L. Moody. It says, The ship belongs in the water of the world, but if water gets in the ship, it sinks. And so, just like Jesus said, he says, you are in the world, but you are not of the world. So we don't want to become conformed to this world. Number six, and this is something we have to do every single day. We have to admit failure and confess all known sin every day. You know why? 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And the beauty of that is when we're Christians, Jesus has already forgiven us of those sins. He's already cleansed us. What it is is it's a relational issue and it's clearing the air. And then number seven is we want to fight by faith and not by works. We want to fight by faith and not by works. And so what we need to do, guys, is let our fight spring from a place of confidence in God's pleasure with us, not a work for his approval. Because if Satan can get us working for righteousness, he's won again because all that we've done is become a Pharisee, and we don't want to do that. Now, if you guys have missed anything that I've said this whole night, just catch this one thing. The key to conquering the joy that we find in sin is to have a bigger and better joy in God. Let me say that again. The key to conquering the joy we find in sin is to have a bigger and better joy in God. And the way that we find joy in God is what we need to do is take the purest form of who Jesus is and we need to compare that to whatever Satan is enticing us with, whatever this world is offering to us. When it's, when it's um, immorality, is it worth Jesus? Is it worth the glory that Christ has given us? Is it worth the forgiveness of, that we have through salvation? Is it worth the promise and the hope of heaven? We can find so much joy in the Lord when we focus on it. And, and that really leads us to the next point, and because it doesn't stop there. Because if all we ever do in our lives is just weed, all we're going to do is have barren ground, Right? If I was to just go out into my yard and I was just starting to like tear up every single weed and I never came back with anything else, all it would do is just leave barren dirt. And my grass is not strong enough to spread. In fact, all it would do is just allow for more weeds to come in. So what we have to do is we have to feed because it's a two-part system. And so what we want to do is, is it matters just as much of what we're taking out as what we're putting in. And so when we're walking in a place of confessing our sin and repenting for them, we also need to be feeding the land. 
which is our heart and our souls. And so let me say this tonight, and, and I know we're getting close to the end, but there is nothing, no self-help books, no 12 steps, no gurus, no emus, no yoga, no yogurt, nothing that will change us or transform us that will grow us more than the Word of God. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. There is nothing in this world that will change us or grow us more than the Word of God. There was nothing that will feed us like this Word. Yeah, Psalm 119.11 says, this is how we feed. This is how we secure ourselves against sin. It says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I may not sin against you. Psalm 119.9 continues to say, how can a young person stay pure by obeying your word? We're going to go old school. I'm going to the King James Version of 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have to study it. We have to hide it in our hearts. We have to obey it. And then we find through 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17, it says all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. And that is righteous living for reproof. That is the, the, the thing that we have to have that when we've sinned, it corrects us. And then we actually have correction. And then for instruction of righteousness, that the man or woman of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. In Luke uh, 11.28, Jesus is out and he's on the street and he's ministering. And all of a sudden, a person calls out. And I'm going to give you the Josh Horsey version because she cries out to Jesus and she's like, Oh, God bless your mama because she gave birth to you and, and bless the, the womb that you came out of. And you know what Jesus, he's like, Okay, okay, all right, settle down. Because you know what he replies to her? He says, even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. That's how we feed. Philippians 4.8 says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And so how do we feed? We feed as we take in the word of God and we feed as we walk by faith. And so as we walk by faith, we realize that through the word, faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. And so it's kind of like this circular thinking because as we want more faith, we need more word. And so we walk by faith and we, we study the word of God. And as we get more word, then we get more faith. And so I want to give you, as we are closing, I want to give you some practical ways that we can feed the land of our heart and our souls. And, and I just encourage you guys that if some of these things you're not practicing, then, then try to figure out a way that you can put these into practice because they will grow you immensely as you don't want to have those weeds in your life, as you want to feed what God is doing. Because here's the deal. You know what? We are, we are saved from our sin. God has saved us from our sin. But here's the thing. When we walk in sin, you know what sin wants to do for us? It wants to rob us of our potential. 
It wants to kill. It wants to destroy. It wants to take the calling that God has on our lives and it wants to reduce us to nothing. It wants us to be ineffective. And so what we have to do is we have to battle that sin. And here's how we do it. Here's how we feed against, um, against the weed. First and foremost, we want to look at having daily devotions. That is something that we can do that feeds into our lives to get into the Word of God every day. And, and you're like, you know what? I, I can't do it in the morning. You know, that's okay. Some people do it at night. And you're like, well, I don't have time at nights. Well, some people do it on their lunch break. It's just whatever works for you. If you can have a daily time of, of devotion spent with God where, where you have that conversation with God, it's not all just one way. It's where you let him speak to you. Where Pastor Ben, I, I love what he says. He, he opens the word and he says, don't just read it. Let it read you. Let it change you from the inside out. And that's how we allow it to transform us. So we have daily devotions. Another encouraging thing is we can do the one-year Bible. You can read the Bible in a year. And there's so much to be taken out of that because not only are you in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but you're also in the Proverbs and the Psalms. And it can be really powerful. Uh, maybe you can set aside one uh, evening or one night a week where you can watch a Bible study with your family. You know, we have this amazing thing now called the Internet, and we have podcasts and vodcasts and churches live stream, and there's so many wonderful teachings out there that you can catch, and most of us even have some way or another to throw it up on our TV so we can watch it. You know, as we feed into our, our families, that's an awesome thing because that's going to that's gonna give dividends in the lives of our kids and in the lives of our wife and our, our husbands. Another way that we can feed is we can listen to podcasts. Again, technology has advanced very far where we have instant access to solid Bible teaching. And then another thing is memory verse. Memory verse is hiding God's word in our heart on a daily basis. That's so important. And as we do all that, what we want to do is make sure that we spend, we spend time with Jesus. I was uh, on my way back to church this evening, and, and the pastor I was listening to was talking about, Jesus said, this is my food, is doing the will of the one who sent me. And I thought, yes, that's an awesome verse. So I want to give you just last thing. As we close, I want to encourage you with three just quick points. First and foremost, when we realize about weed and feed is, unfortunately, the fight never ends. Because what we realize is that a commitment, a commitment to obedience to God is not a one-time thing. It's renewed daily by our actions and how, to choose, how we choose to live. It's like a video game. It's Mortal Kombat. Like I said earlier, either it dies or we die. So the fight never ends. But here's encouragement number two. We're not alone. We are not alone in this fight. We have Jesus living inside us and so that we can walk in love. We can be the hands and feet. And then we have the Holy Spirit upon us so we can walk in power. And then here's another beautiful thing. We have each other. And we have this community of believers that can support one another. And here's a thing that, that may come as like a, a foreign concept to some of us is, have you guys ever heard of the, of the term accountability partner? That is so important to have in this day and age. 
and it's someone that you can speak honestly to about your struggles. And, and I encourage you to find someone, and, and not of the opposite sex unless it's your spouse. But if there's things that you're ashamed to tell your spouse or admit to your spouse, well, then find someone that has a judgment-free ear. And that doesn't mean that they're not going to encourage you to change, but they're just not going to be shocked to it when you say, hey, I was thinking about this today, or I sinned in this way. And you know what? I mean, shouldn't the church be a shock-free zone? Aren't we all sinners saved by grace? So not only do we need to find accountability partners, we need to be accountability partners. We need to walk through uh, this journey with one another. And so the fight never ends. We're not alone. And the last thing I'll say is we've got weapons. We've got the armor of God. We've got the shield of our faith. We have the helmet of our salvation. We have our our Nike kicks that are the gospel shoes. We have the belt of truth, the, the the body armor of righteousness, and then we have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And guys, it is a battle. And I just want to encourage us that when it gets tough, all we have to do is look to Jesus. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, He made him who, know, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be the righteousness of God. Jesus took the hit so that he could become sin to pay for our sins so that we could be called his righteousness. And because of that, we can echo Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, where Paul screams out or he shouts out, but thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, church, can we commit to weeding and feeding our hearts and our souls through Jesus, to fight, to be militant, to be ruthless towards sin, and to love the Word of God with all of our hearts. The sad thing is, and, and we've said this already, we're not going to experience a sin-free life until we're glorified, until we breathe that last breath. But I pray daily that we have less weeds and commit to feed faithfully so that we have more fruit to grow in as we live the lives that God has for us. Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, we love you, God. And Lord, I know that this is a subject that we could just talk about for a long time. And, and we're so thankful, Father, that we do have your grace and we do have your mercy and we do have your forgiveness, God. And, and Lord, I know that every day, Jesus, we're going to battle against sin. And, and I pray, Lord, that you give us the tools to fight that, Lord, sin or Satan wouldn't rob us of our potential, God, in you. That, Father, as we, Lord, as we are sober-minded, as we're vigilant, God, that, that we're not taken by surprise, and, and Father, we're not um, wrapped up in sin, but in fact, God, we make that daily commitment to confess, Lord, and repent, and, and Lord, Jesus, fight with honor. And so, thank you, Lord, that we have the promise of your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord, that we have your spirit. Thank you that we have your strength and your grace. And so we love you tonight, Lord, and, and we just, Father, uh, worship you, God. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you 
or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.